Welcome to episode 162 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, June the 4th, 2017. I'm Carlton Reed of BikeBiz.com, and here's David to introduce the show sponsor. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. And uh, hi there, we have got a show today with... Uh, the, I don't want to say the old crew, because, of course, you're only as old as you feel. We're with the, the crew that has been on previously. So we have had a few problems recently getting everybody together. Mine was problem was the last time because uh, I had a, a bit of a, a hospital appointment to, or a hospital pickup to go and do to go and collect my dad. Uh, so I had to cancel at the last minute there. And then other few wee problems we've had getting together but it is good now that we are back together so we have jim here jim are you there hello i'm here you are definitely there and you are definitely in colorado oh yeah where it is beautiful it's going to be 80 today the cyclists it was in the high 70s yesterday and and in my rides i'm seeing almost i think double the number of people on bikes it's just awesome Sweet. And we also have Donna. Good day to you, Donna. Hi. How are you? I didn't know we were doing a weather report. It's about 70 degrees here just <laughs> outside of Austin. And uh, on this beautiful Sunday um, with no humidity. And um, But we are going to get rain for the next couple of days. So there will be not much mountain biking happening here in the Blue Hills or in Wampatuck or anywhere around here because it will be soggy and wet. Mm-hmm. Well, in the UK, if we are doing weather reports, the UK is kind of nice. We've had a really nice spring so far. Almost almost freaky climate change kind of spring in that it shouldn't really be this warm at this time of year. <laughs> We're not complaining too much, but it does, in the back of your mind, you're thinking 80s and 90s in, in before summer, that's not normal. But it's lovely, but it's not normal. Okay, let's let's get straight into the show. And and what I'd like to say first of all is we were going to have a special guest, and we did try and get that special guest on. And I know that uh, Jim, you actually tweeted, and you said we have this special guest, and so now we've got to disappoint people and say we yeah. haven't got that special guest anymore. But he was from Colorado, your state. So Jim, just t- you tell me who who we're going to have on. Well, we tried to have Ned Overand on, who is. A legend among all legends in cycling, the the man who started winning mountain bike races almost 40 years ago when mountain biking was in its infancy and is still winning mountain bike races. And fat bike races, isn't he? He's like, he's, he switches oh, yeah. his... 
he switches to different uh, different disciplines. Seriously, if if I suspect that there are a lot of road cyclists, are glad he never switched to road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ned was was uh, suggested to me by uh, Marty. So Marty is a listener of the show and he knows Ned and he said you should get Ned on and we did try and get Ned on and we did sort of have him on in that uh, we we could hear him he couldn't hear us on the the Skype group call uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, call Ned because I did have him on the, the the line for a wee bit and just, when it was one-on-one it was absolutely fine so it was clearly when we were doing the, the the conference call thing that that there was issues so I will get Ned on at some point on the show uh, because he is an absolutely fascinating guy in that the questions we were going to ask him, obviously, are, how can you keep doing this? Yeah. How are you still What's doing this secret? at this age? I know. What is his secret? Exactly. What's the yeah, secret and, and sauce? There has never been – sauce. Don't say sauce. Um, well, no, you don't. <laughs> never been any hint. I mean, any indication whatsoever. There's never been anything to suggest that he's doing anything wrong or illegal or – Doping him no, I didn't mean it that just, way. I didn't. Yeah. No, it's quite the opposite. But, He's very, very strong. I mean, that's one of the yes. reasons he he got out of some discipline, like mountain biking. He got out of mount, the latter stages of mountain biking because of the the prevalence in the Euro scene of of some drugs were coming into mountain biking. So he then switched to other disciplines. That, that's the reason. He's very, very um, anti-doping. Very, and a good guy. A totally good guy. And we kind of go back in, in when I do interview him. It would be nice because he was the winner of the first ever World Mountain Bike Championships, which were held in France. It was a, a winning magazine event. And this is in 1987. And I was at that event. I've got a photograph of Ned holding up the trophy. And I was a did not finish at that event. I punched it on the, on the way down. But this is when I was actually the manager of the British mountain bike team. And that's when I could ride. And uh, so we go back a long way, me and Ned, even though he probably doesn't know that. Uh, anyway, let's get into the rest of the, the, the show and, and start by uh, talking about teams. And this is a, uh, a, a show regular has, has written this article. But Jim, how about you introduce, because you, you introduced this topic. So tell us, tell us exactly who's written this and, and what it's all about. Well, uh, Rick Vosper, who is uh, a great writer and has obviously some really good insight into the professional cycling world, wrote an article called 200 Bikes and a Lot of Cash, What It Cost a Bike Brand to Sponsor a World Tour Team. Uh, It created a lot of uh, back and forth online here in the States um, some of it saying, oh, it can't be true. And, and the first thing I want to say is I have read those agreements and the article is correct. Um, the amount of money that a bicycle, uh, manufacturer throws at a cycle racing team, e- e- not even a world tour team, just a, a continental team is, is unbelievable. Um, try me, try be- us, try us, Jim. What, what are we talking about? What kind of ballpark figures? Uh, contract I read for Continental Team, I would say 12, 14 years ago, started out at $4 million and 100 bikes. Mm-hmm. And these, 
And these were not cheap bikes. These were, at the time, $10,000 bikes. Hmm. Um, so, so say the manufacturers only got $2,500 invested in these bikes. And then we're not talking just frames. We're talking full builds. Um, you know, that's, that's 6000 or $6 million plus, And it included uh, spare parts and everything. Um, and, and think about it. $6 million to put your name uh, on a bicycle – uh, that may not even get national, I mean, worldwide, let alone national attention. That's an awful lot of money. That's a major commitment to the sport of mm-hmm. cycle racing um, in, in an industry, in a world, in a nation where cycle racing does not attract that many people in some cases. So it's not uh, a lot of money in Coca-Cola terms, and it's not a lot of money if you're Trek or Specialized because, A, you're big, and that's what you do. But as you said, it, it's an awful lot of money for the, the, the second and third tier teams, which you need. You, you can't just have a Trek and a Specialized. You've got to have the, the, the second and third tier teams there as well. So, Donna, that's, that's a huge amount of money, obviously. But is it money well spent from a PR point of view? Well, I would have to say it depends. It depends on who your audience is. It depends on who you're trying to reach what your who your customers are, who your potential customers are. Um, if you look at it from from the other side, from the team side, you know when you look at some of these events, it costs a lot of money to move all of those people around and put them up in hotels and the vehicles and the food and the training and the trainers and the massage therapists and all of the things that go into a big team. When you start adding that all up and the insurance and the medical costs and the, the salaries of the riders and all the other people, I, you know, you look at it as a person, you go, wow, that's a lot of money. But when you start adding all of that up, the cost that it takes to run a team might not be that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but think, think about the, the Tour de France. I mean, that's got to be... Just to put on, just to have a team enter that event, they've got to have at least five million dollars in their pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, now how many? I mean, yeah, for for football, however you define the sport based on that name, that doesn't mean anything. But however, whichever sport you're looking at, you're also talking at multi millions of people watching it and hundreds of hours of airtime on on major channels all across the world, and you know, we talk about, hey, did you were you able to find that race on TV, or did you watch True. it on your computer? Um, I, and so what I what I see is bicycle manufacturing companies who really are looking at the bottom line and saying, you know, are, are we going to get a bicycle, our bikes in a race, or are we going to go bankrupt? I mean, that's a hundred percent of the profit, if not more than that, for several of the people who are looking at doing this. So, should we, if we say we're bicycle advocates and we are advocating people to get on their bikes in towns and for transportation, and a very very common complaint from those guys is, why does the industry do this kind of big budget? sponsorship of teams when if it's five million dollars if it's six million dollars they should be spending that six million dollars every year on getting more bums on seats in transportation 
term. So advocating for infrastructure, these kind of things. So do you think the industry is spending cash in the wrong place? First of all, I mean, I, I'm asking this but to both of you, but let's start with Jim. Is the industry spending money in the wrong place by by paying this kind of big buck stuff to teams? You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I think the first thought, this was a Donna question because the same argument's been made about NASCAR and the Indianapolis 500 and all of these races for decades. And, the, and, and it's not uh, uh, an issue of getting more people into cars. It's, it's a safety <laughs> issue. Should the money being spent on these automobile races be spent on making cars safer? Um, and, and the automobile, or automobile manufacturers always say, yes, this is how we make cars safer. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, does it get more people into seats or into bicycles? I don't think so. But does it get the cyclists who are serious about the sport energized and excited and provide them with more reasons to go out and buy bikes and to talk about the sport and be invested in the sport. And that's definitely a case. I mean, we always have, you know, a professional section of the podcast of something exciting is going on mm. uh, and we try not to, but yet, but we have no choice because we are serious cycle. Well, most of us are serious cyclists. And then there's me <laughs> uh, and me. I'm serious. I'm serious when I ride, but I'm serious about not getting hurt again. <laughs> so Donna, same question to you. So I, you know, I'm with Jim. I think there's a certain segment of the cycling population that follow, you know, the pros and follow those teams and totally, and I say this with all due respect, geek out on every component that they're using and, and every piece of equipment and what they're wearing and all of that. And, but that's not the large segment of the population of who is cycling, I don't think. Um, so could some of that money be used to, um, fund courses or safety regulations or safe roads or, you know, or anything like that? Sure. But, you know, and I, I love that I have now corrupted Jim into talking about auto racing on the cycling podcast, <laughs> but, um, but, but he's right, you know, is the same argument could be made in most sports, I think, you know, if, whether it's football or hockey or, you know, or, or basketball, you're throwing all this money at a LeBron James or something, but should you be building courts in um, basketball courts in inner cities or basketball courts, you know, refurbished in in the suburbs. You know, I, I think there's always going to be that that argument or that debate. Oh, and see, I, I, I disagree with that statement, Donna, and that's because I, I can't ride my bike for more than five minutes and not see a publicly supported bi- bas- basketball court and I can't ride my bicycle for more than 10 or 15 minutes without seeing a publicly supported football field or soccer field. Mm. I think those but sports But is that from the industry the or is that from your town or your region? But it's the same that- thing. It's, it's the same thing. It's the industry has created such a need, such a want, such a desire. And therefore, the towns are putting the money into it. I mean, they don't care. The NFL and the NBA and all the other three-letter sports professional sports organizations in the U.S. really don't care. Uh, what's um, uh, U.S. What is U.S. cycling or whatever done to promote cycling in the United States? I mean, I mean, they do a lot, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I, I, I have to work to find a bicycle path. I have to f- work to find a 
I sometimes I have to drive to find a bicycle path versus I can walk out my door and wow, going five minutes in any direction on my feet, I'll find a basketball court, a soccer field, a baseball field. Jim, is this not not the industry's paid. done this, or the, like the basketball, the football industry's done this? It, it's what people want, and then the municipalities put the stuff in that people want. And there was a, a pertinent phrase you you brought up a few seconds ago, where you said, uh, I think it was almost a, a Freudian slip, where you're talking about how uh, you know the in- bike industry needs to get bums on saddles, but of course the car industry doesn't have that problem. You know, you they do really, really want to get into cars. Oh, no, but they do. The millennials, um, this is a huge problem for the car industry, is getting the millennials to drive. They're not driving places, and that is a huge problem um, for the car industry. They're, you know, they're they're Ubering, they're letting their parents do it. They One friend will get their license, and the rest will pile in. Um, they're not... They're they belong not, to car sharing? Yeah, they're not driving cars, but okay. that's a whole you know, other topic. To some extent, I understand that and, and wish I had grown up in a place in a period of time where that was possible. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, love I know. I say yes, no, I love to drive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a whole other podcast, right? Well, Donna, you mentioned, or in fact, it was Jim who mentioned it, but you mentioned this particular topic. So we will go into that topic now as a, as a smooth segue in, uh, and that is just NASCAR. So, and, and you're, you're asking the question, uh, does this particular driver, NASCAR driver, will that person get more people to, to start cycling? Because they're so enthused. So, so tell us about that particular issue. So the question I, I had is, you know, in the Armstrong era, you know, everybody wondered when he when he came down with a big crash, who who was going to be the next one that brought in this whole new generation, if you will, or this whole new group of people into cycling, right? Um, and I don't know that we've seen one person do that as much as the Arm, Armstrong did in the era, as much as I hate to keep mentioning him. Um, but... Um, so I wonder with my, my dual hat, you know, and I do love NASCAR. I, I am a NASCAR fan. If anyone has listened to the show more than twice and heard me on it, you know that. Um, but now a lot of the NASCAR drivers are cyclists. They're on the road. They're training. This is how they're doing their fitness. Um, Jimmy Johnson is probably one of the biggest advocates of cycling. He's on the road. He's he's in many disciplines. He's on the road. He's doing triathlons. He just held a four-hour mountain bike race uh, for his charity, the Jimmy Johnson Foundation, um, which, by the way, Armstrong did show up, and so did Hincapie. Um, and he's brought in a lot of other racers, crew chiefs, and crews along with him. And they're now cycling together in a pack. Well, after a year of trying, he's finally got the 14-time most popular driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr., to start cycling. And he is one of the everyday type of cyclists. He's turned into quite a fanatic at this point. But he started out with, just like most people would, I'm not going to wear spandex. I, that That's crazy. I don't want to be seen in spandex. Well, now he's in spandex. He's got the full mm-hmm. kit. He's got the whole thing. He's riding. He is... He's on Strava. He's on Relive. He's tweeting and Instagramming more about cycling than he is about NASCAR. Um, 
he is a complete fan at this point. And, and I wonder, you know, he's talking about safety on the road. He's talking about what he's riding, how he's riding, when he's on his trainer, when he's on the road. Will he bring in that new generation or a different grouping, if you will, because he's not young anymore. He's 40 something, I think. Um, will he bring in a whole new faction into cycling? Donna, can I ask you a different question? Yeah. Rather than yeah. bringing new people into cycling, might the fact that this person is cycling encourage, I'm, I'm going to be rude here, encourage a redneck audience who, and maybe I'm, I'm being absolutely unfair because you're not, not a redneck, but a redneck audience who may be the, the, the core audience of NASCAR, maybe they will, I'm asking you the question here, I'm not, I'm not positing this as fact, maybe they will be more attuned to, well, hang on, there's a bicycle rider, my, you know, my favourite NASCAR driver, he says he's a bicycle rider. Well, I thought that was a weird thing, but it can't be weird because, you know, my guy does that kind of thing. Oh, I'll give that person more room. Do you think there's... Quite apart from the fact it might be moving people into cycling, it might just make these this audience be nicer to cyclists. I certainly hope so, um, because you know you hear a lot of scary things about you know in Texas people are shooting at cyclists or um, you know that they're running them off the road all over the country, not not anywhere in particular. So um, this may bring greater awareness. I know he said in the article that we'll link to in the show that his wife doesn't want him riding on the road because she thinks it's so dangerous. So when he, uh, by himself, mm. so when he is in, a, he will go and ride in group rides. Not that, you know, we've seen tragedies happen there too, but, um, but he tends to be on his trainer when he's by himself. Um, but interestingly, he and his niece tweeted something the other day. She was out driving as a new driver and gave him a big wide berth. He was out riding by himself. And they both tweeted about it as this is sort of a safe thing to do to give a rider a big berth. So he's already starting to talk mm. about safety on the road. Um, and I know that just a, a week or so ago, um, Jimmy Johnson and led a group of riders on a 69-mile bike ride to honor Nikki Hayden. And um, they they put up a, a banner in the front with the hashtag peace on the road that if you go to Twitter, it is uh, at racers who ride. Mm. And this is a group of motorsports folks um, who are cyclists and they are trying to promote peace on the road. So um, I think, you know, long story endless or long answer endless. I'm I'm very hopeful, Carlton, that you're correct that this group of riders will bring safety to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, Jim? Yeah, I, I mean, th there's it's sort of funny. There have always been bicycles in professional racing. When the semi or the truck rolls up and rolls out the cars, uh, multiples, and you know the spare engines are in there, uh, on the side... Uh, tied with a rope were always a couple of bicycles because in the pit area, the fastest way to get around was for the mechanics was to hop on a bike and somebody rode out and got lunch and somebody rode out and picked up whatever they needed or they went to the bathroom or whatever it was. Um, and there are always a couple of bikes hanging around in the garage and now the bikes are looking a lot better. Uh, and I think it may have a chance. I think it may have something to do with the sport. And if nothing else, if nothing else, it's got to be making some of these people who are the serious followers of the followers of the sport? Take a second look, um, and maybe even a, a wider berth, which I think 
is the most important thing when they're passing a cyclist. And that alone is worth its weight in gold for us. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we were gonna, we are going to split for a, a, an advertising break right now. We'll be back in a few moments after listening to the dulcet tones of David, and we'll be talking about bicycle mechanicing. Ing, 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 ing. So uh, back in a few seconds. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much, and it's it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a longtime loyal advertiser. We're glad to have them back again, of course, in 2017. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen. USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years, that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices. And what really sets them apart, because of course there's lots of online retailers out there, but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support. When you call and you've got a question about something, you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors. And these are cyclists. I've been there. I've seen it. These folks, this is something we'll talk about on today's show, but these are folks who, who ride their bikes to and from work. These are folks who ride at lunch, who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much. Uh, and, and so you know that when you call, you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about. Now, talking about great deals, it is time for Jensen USA's annual bike sale, their 2017 annual bike sale. If if you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Because now it's spring and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and it's time to get back out on your bike. Check out Jensen USA's annual bike sale and you will not be disappointed they always have great deals on complete bikes i mean i'll just give you an example i'm looking at their website a 2016 orbea occam tr m30 normally three thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars now just two thousand six hundred ninety nine dollars what are you waiting for it's a great bike from a great brand at a great price go ahead and check them out Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. Thank you, David. <laughs> and we are back, and we are back with the, the spokesman uh, roundtable podcast, and it's episode 161. And uh, I didn't say at the top of the show who I was, wow. but I'm Carlton Reed of Bike Biz. I always forget because uh, we're just having a chat, aren't we? And uh, you don't kind of introduce yourself when you're having a chat with your friends. So uh, that was me. That was my introduction that I didn't make. And of course, we're with Jim, Jim Moss, and we are with Donna, Donna Toshi. And we are now going to be talking about mechanicing in the bicycle industry. And I'm not going to say a great deal because the, the UK bicycle mechanic scene is actually very very active in that we export in fact we export our bicycle mechanic and training so we were we were very early onto the scene but jim you've got a couple of stories there um regarding bicycle mechanicing in the u.s so so go for it what have you got for us well it, being a bicycle mechanic in the united states for uh, forever has just been you walked into a bicycle shop and 
ask for a job, and if you knew which end of the screwdriver you should hold, uh, a lot of times you got the job and you just learned as you went. And then a couple decades ago, two different organizations started uh, to teach mechanics how to be really good, to, to teach them the actual uh, the math and everything else involved in being a mechanic. Uh, one was the Barnett Bicycle Institute in Colorado Springs, and the other was the um, uh, United Bicycle Institute, which is in the Pacific Northwest in Washington, I think. I can't remember right now. Well, recently, um, the Barnett Bicycle Institute was purchased by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Who also um, own the trade mag, Bicycle uh, Retailers. Right. Bicycle Retailer and Industry News is owned by NBDA. Mm. Um, and, and it shows a real interest in, in the retailers themselves in making mechanics a more professional organization uh, and getting good mechanics so that it's, it's now maybe not something you did on your way to college or on your, you know, someplace. It is something you could actually do a, a career maybe uh, that comes with a good quality education. Along that same lines, there's a new organization that's been started called the Professional Bicycle Mechanics Association. Um, and they've teamed up with United Bicycle Institute, and they'll be offering, along with several manufacturers, um, training to their members. Um, I think there's two this fall. I know one's coming to Denver uh, where you can go and, and it's a two or three day training where you can actually be trained by some of the best in the world. Um, so two organizations um, not working against each other, just using different approaches to help the bicycle mechanics in the United States become more professional. Um, and, and does that involve qualifications? So you, you, you can actually go to a, an employer and say, I've got this physical qualification in bicycle mechanics. Yes. Uh, both of them are working along those lines. Of course, you know, if you read my writings, there's, there's always some hiccups with that. Um, if you want to be a bicycle mechanic, I'll certify you for five bucks. Um, mm. We overuse the word certification. The better thing is to say we've been educated. But yeah, you'll be certified or educated or you will be able to say, I have this experience. Uh, for, already the Barnett Bicycle Institute and the United Bicycle, United Bicycle Institute, the, if you have a, a, a certificate or a, from them, it's been well recognized that that, that is the, the top of the industry. Um, the, and, uh, the PBMA, Professional Bicycle Mechanics Association, has a Facebook page, which is just awesome. Um, the mechanics are on there all the time asking questions, putting pictures up. Look what I saw. I haven't seen this for 30 years or something along those lines. Um, and, and lots of great information on how to repair bikes and how to deal with customers. Um, so I would strongly encourage you to, to be, uh, become a member of that Facebook page. It but is, look, it, Sorry, Jim. It, it, I, I just find it very strange that you know, here across on this side of the, the Atlantic – we look at America and the American bicycle industry as so far in advance as the from the British one, and yet we've had these kind of things for well for twenty Decades. twenty years at least. You know, really good, high quality, you know, national qualifications, and they were put in place. And and this might interest the reason uh, they were started were because bike shops were going to court, and they were going to court. And the judge would say to a bike shop who'd been, you know, 30 years in the industry, 
and they'd have an expert there who would have a, some form of qualification against their name. It wasn't in bicycle mechanics. It was just some other field. And there'd be like some problem with a bike. Some poor customer has fallen off and the bike shop's liable or the manufacturer's liable. The bike shop person is in, the, in, in court. The judge turns around and says, right, what are your qualifications, Mr. Bike Shop Owner? And the bike shop owner would say, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been really... And the judge would stop them and go, no, 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 no. Your qualification, I don't care how long you've been doing it. What is your physical qualification? They realised back then, if we don't have something after our name, if we can't point to a certificate, we can't go in a court of law and stand up there and say we're qualified, even if we've been doing it for 30 years. So that's why the, the, the Britain has got these good qualification so that begs the question why hasn't the the litigious us jim why hasn't that had the exact in fact not just 20 years ago 40 years ago why why has it taken so long for the us to get up to speed well and and believe me we we know that when 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 looking at these issues i was doing some work for one of these organizations and we looked to the uk for for answers how did how is this being done there because we in the us recognize that you guys have us beat there um, but it, one of the things that's slightly different here in the United States is experience is considered the same as a certification or a degree. Mm-hmm. So our rules of evidence say uh, if you have a lot of experience, then you have the same weight in the courtroom as somebody who has a degree with that experience. So we didn't have that that judge saying you should not testify about this because you only have experience you need an education they're one and the same here in the u.s do you know in 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 many ways i think that's absolutely laudable and as it should be yet that was still wasn't taken to be the case in 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 british courts the judges were still asking for a qualification They, they needed that bit of paper yeah, it's it is extremely interesting so okay so maybe this is just, just basic differences okay question on a different mm. different note um is there a shortage of bicycle mechanics is, <laughs> do you think that good question do you think well do you think that um by nbda purchasing the school do you think they will start to promote it more and make it more you know as you were saying um more of a of a vocation. I don't want to say more of a profession, but more of a vocation. Mm. I mean, it, it is, but um, but really promote that because a lot of um, you're seeing now with technology and things like that that the kids coming out of school they don't they don't want to do sort of a manual labor type of thing. They want to work on computers or they want to work in a desk or something like that. And I just wonder if this is something that's kind of going by the wayside and people aren't seeing it as a, as a vocation. And I wonder mm. if they're going to promote it as more of such, you know, through brain and, you know, all of that. It's just a question I had. I have lots I, of questions I, in my head today. There's, I think to some extent there is a shortage, but I think the shortage is looked at it very differently. It's not a shortage of bicycle mechanics or people who want the job as much as it is a shortage of how long it's going to take me to get this person up to speed. Um, somebody walks in and says, I want to be a bicycle mechanic. And, you know, you say, I, mean, I, have, I know of a shop, uh, Green Mountain Sports says, put a bike together. And if they can put the bike together, they're just ecstatic because nine times out of 10, the person says, I opened the box, now what? And mm-hmm. so you hire a bicycle mechanic, a brand new bicycle mechanic, and you know you've got months of having half work from two people because 
you know, you, you can start them out by washing bicycles, but eventually someone's going to have to teach them how to do everything. And I think that's the bigger issue is the time it takes to get a new bicycle mechanic up to speed. Um, and it's, even if you've got experience, you may have to shift from one type of bikes to another. You may go from a road shop to a mountain shop or something along those lines. And there's still some training time involved for every shop. I think that's the I think that's the biggest problem. Do we need more bicycle mechanics? Sure. But do we need bicycle mechanics that shops don't have to lose a fortune in training? I think is a bigger issue. Adonna, I think in answer to your question and and to to kind of wrap up this this topic, it, it, it comes down to money in that mechanics traditionally don't get paid a huge amount of money. So why do we have a shortage right. of mechanics? Because they don't get very well paid generally. If you started paying mechanics an awful lot more money, you wouldn't have a shortage of mechanics. And part of that has got to be, and this is the other reason for why the UK having qualifications, is you start having qualifications, you, you, you have to start paying people more money. But that professionalizes everything. And sure. everything comes up. And, and, to, and to your point, Jim, the people who've got these qualifications, you know, can can do what you've just asked them to do on in, uh, installing everything on a bike from from scratch because that's that's part and parcel of what they get taught because it's a, a profession and one hopes so you'd have to look at the actual stats but i'm pretty sure the the money for mechanics the, the wages for mechanics have gone up i would hope that's all good mm. yeah and talking about money, uh, money that people very kindly put into my Kickstarter projects, they're, they're very, very uh, well rewarded in that they get what they, they ask for. I, I deliver on my Kickstarter projects, I've got to say. Unfortunately, some other crowdfunding things don't deliver and I'm thinking of one particular case. It's now a couple of weeks old, but it is still a live issue in that this UK company has been bought by another company. But I'll link to the Bike Biz story. It's a company called Vulpine who crowdfunded. It wasn't Kickstarter, but they crowdfunded um, a million pounds, which is in American money is an awful lot of money. So a million and a half dollars. And then they started to needing more money for whatever reason that they would need more money despite the fact that they had all that money they went back to crowdfunding again asking for just over a million dollars they stopped that crowdfunding uh, when it wasn't going very well and then not long afterwards they went belly up they they went into liquidation in effect in or certainly into administration i should say and they had to be rescued they burnt an awful lot of this crowdfunded cash so my question to you guys is uh, is the bike industry the right place apart from, from from my projects of course is it the right place for crowdfunded cash and i'm going to ask that to jim first because jim you've <laughs> you're one of the people who's who's very kindly and very quickly as well i've got yours the first one to to do this you've you've backed my projects on on Kickstarter, are you a crowdfunding fan? Yeah, I, I am. Um, I'm bigger, I'm a Carlton Reed fan and a book fan, but um, 
Yeah, I am because I like I like innovation. I like new ideas. I like to see things go. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I I have spent a lot of time, other than your stuff where I just click, yeah, I'm here. I spent a lot of time looking at things because I've seen some stuff that that I didn't think would work, um, and and it hasn't. Uh, I think you need to look at that with a real eye. Um, and, and the crowdfunding here in the United States is taking over. We're now seeing regular companies mm. crowdfunding their new ideas. Well, Turn um, and Exocycle, you know, they've got a new product. Yeah. They, they they put their their bike as a crowdfunder, even though they're a pucker company. They're a, they're a proper company already with their own distribution channels. Yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I'm not. Uh, it, it's it's just an easy way to get funding, so you don't have to put the money out there to say, "Hey, is this going to work or not?" Well, it, I, it solves two problems. You know, I, I would slightly disagree. I, I want to bring Donna in anyway, but I would disagree with that in that there are other reasons why you go to crowdfunding apart from just raising money. But first of all, Donna, what are you? Are you a crowdfunding kind of person? Do you do you back projects? I haven't backed a project yet. I'm sorry. Um, but, and that, that's only probably because I forgot to do yours. So no, 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 just in general, let's, but, but why no, don't general, you? That's interesting. I have not, um, I, I haven't found something yet that, that I would, um, that I would back a hundred percent, but am I for it in general? Cautiously? Yes. I think it's a great way for some innovative folks or folks who have a really great idea who just don't, don't have a, a way to get funding or feel that they wouldn't be able to go through any quote unquote regular channels. I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, some movies have been made that way. Um, books obviously, but, but some really innovative things have happened. I'm, I'm with Jim. I would be very cautious and do some research before I just clicked yes about, you know, the background of the people that were, that were asking for the money, have they done, um, have they done their research? Have they sort of been out there talking about this? Is it basically, is it as legitimate as I could, could make it before clicking on it? But, um, but yeah, I think it's a phenomenal way for some, some people to get their ideas out there and, and have a shot at it. But you have, see that I would like to dig down into this, Donna, because but you haven't so far backed a project. See, when I when I look at the people who've backed my project, my projects, I look at some of them and some of them are like 50, 60 projects they've backed. So there's, there's clearly uh, a bunch of people out there who are big time investors in small projects that might not get funded any other way or just mm-hmm. like crowdfunding in general. And you're the opposite. You're somebody who hasn't done this so it's really interesting that there are some people who are who are evangelists in 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 almost backing anything on kickstarter and people like yourself who who so far haven't but that's because you said you haven't found the right project yet so you're not not against it per se well no i haven't found no i'm not against it at all i'm i haven't found the right project or it hasn't been presented to me but also i i think you know we all have limited funds I haven't won the lottery yet. So, you know, everyone has limited funds. And for me personally, I tend to put my funding towards charity work that I'm very invested in um, a no kill animal shelter and a homeless mission here that are very local. Um, and then a couple of 
a couple of other charities that I'm very close to. So for me, that's where my dollars go. If I found a, a project that I was very invested in, I would have no problem doing the crowdfunding. Donna, that's really interesting in that you're almost equating crowdfunding as a charity thing. I'm not saying you are, but just almost there. But what if no, no, was... it's just where would my dollars go? And, you know, if I have a certain amount of, of money that I can give to something mm. a year, for me personally, I I give it to these organizations that I feel really, really need it and, I, I, and do good work. And to me, that makes my heart feel better than than a project that's just me so, uh, but I, I don't i don't think one is i don't think one is charity i don't think they're both charity at all i'm gonna guess here and, and say there must be some very innovative dog products you're a dog person so there must be and because almost every other strand there's there's some innovative products out there. <laughs> there must be some really innovative dog projects out there on kickstarter so there's nothing like that has come across your 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 radar you haven't seen any oh that's i don't need that you know that's not on the market yet i don't so i clearly don't have a need for it because it's not on the market yet but that's just something oh i'd I'd quite like that weird innovative (laughs) dog walking thing so you you haven't come across that kind of stuff (laughs) well i'm laughing because my better half that's what he does for a living is he creates uh pet products yeah so he moved from the bicycle industry into creating products for um, pets. So I see all kinds of innovative animal products in my house, right in my house. <laughs> so let's put this another <laughs> like way. He works for a company. He works for a company that 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 creates them. So, but so they don't, they don't put them example. out. But they don't put them out on Kickstarter. They always put them through through standard channels. Yes, they're they're a big company that that creates products. So that may be a bad example, but um, but I, I do have to say, if there was something out there that um, I, I don't. Personally, I I don't research into these either. You know, if something was put in front of me, I would absolutely look at it. But I, I don't go out there and research what's out there on Kickstarter. But Donna, you might have actually hit on something else in that. So your better half is doing products for for animal products. Mm-hmm. You're saying they would tend to go through the normal distribution channels. So maybe we've actually found something that hit. Maybe this is a cycling thing. There are an awful lot of projects and products out there on Kickstarter, maybe it's the type of consumer the cyclist is or the cycle enthusiast is that they're more liable to actually pledge than a pet owner, say. So a pet owner is going to be going into a a standard place, whereas a, a bikey person may be more amenable to innovation and to, oh, that's a neat product. Now I'm really into my neat product stuff do you think there might be some mileage there in that it might be actually a cyclingy thing i don't I do. know big oh god i do i, I mean I, and i've said this before but i think that cyclists are a different type of person it, it, and and this is a positive in my opinion um when i joined the sports spokesman many years ago the number of people following me on twitter jumped dramatically um most of those people were cyclists. Uh, cyclists are into Twitter. Cyclists are into mm. different things than other sports. And consequently, I think cyclists are a little bit more attuned to 
new ideas, internet-based ideas than maybe some other segments of our population. And I think that is why you see so many cycling products on these crowdfunding sites. I've seen a lot of pet products. In fact, the first time mm-hmm. I saw one that I thought was really neat was, you know, the, the uh, product that the pet, it would throw a ball. The pet could go over and nudge something and the ball would take off. The pet would chase it and bring the ball back and drop and, it at the right spot. And did that and, succeed? Did that work on, on, on Kickstarter or whichever one it was on? I, I don't know. I didn't follow it because at the time I didn't have a dog. I'm looking at gifted <laughs> But I didn't have a dog. <laughs> you and should have sent it to Donna. Donna would have built him her first Kickstarter product. Well, that's yeah, could have. I I don't know. I thought maybe I'd get bored with it after a while, so I didn't buy it for myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying basically cyclists maybe we we know this for a fact, of course. Cyclists are different in a nice way. We're special. Awesome. We're special. <laughs> that's that's the way special, we're looking That's for. a little yellow bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I put myself in that category. I even tweeted back to you. What? I wasn't the special? So um, we're special. Well, with my, with my historian's hat on, uh, the I, I would say bicyclists are naturally innovative in, in both the, the way that they they invent stuff and the way they consume stuff and the way they're, they're early adopters. And so with my historian's hat on, the U.S. Patent Office in the 1890s had a bicycle. Half of it was made up of bicycle inventions. They had a whole different office just for bicycle inventions because it was that red hot. It was the absolute Silicon Valley of its day. So back then, cycling was just innovating like something like crazy. And cycling has always been a quite an innovative thing. There's there's a ton of stuff. So maybe now some of the the innovative stuff that you see on Kickstarter is part and parcel of the fact that cycling is actually quite a uh, a, a varied and innovative thing. I, I mean, I, I think you're right. Yeah. A third. In fact, I've just Googled it there now, and even though I've, I could find this in one of my books somewhere, but it's, it talks about how a third of all patent applications, a third, filed at the U.S. Patent Office in the 1890s were bike-related. So it was, a, it was a pretty big thing back then. So they, if they US had Kickstarter listeners. back then, it would have been very successful. For U.S. listeners, that's Patent Office. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that across here as well. I'm just making a mistake. <laughs> so yeah so so donna i'm interested in 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 the fact that you haven't i'm not i'm not pushing you into doing any projects because i haven't got any live kickstarter projects but it's interesting that some people are into kickstarter and and some people aren't so that's interesting and i'm sure everyone has their own reasons they're not mm. just my reasons but everyone has their own reasons for either for or or not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and we would like to now cross across to a a, a topic that in, again has been introduced by by Jim. You're all being very very good at uh, suggesting topics this time. By the way, I've I've been away for a week and I've I've suggested virtually nothing. But uh, Jim, most, tell us about most, your passing distances, the 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 five foot passing laws that you you're saying are coming in. I, I wish I could take credit for these. These <laughs> all come from my brother Dan. Um, he just, he's onto this and he loves it when we talk about one of his ideas on the, on the spokesman. So maybe we should have him on. 
my better looking, smarter, definitely a better cyclist brother. Oh uh, yeah, we sh- we then I'll never get back on again. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're seeing here, nice segue. What we're seeing in in the United States is something a little odd. We're we're having these major fights to get these three foot passing laws passed in the state legislature, so that statewide a, a motorist must pass a cyclist by three foot. But in certain counties or townships smaller uh, government uh, jurisdictions, they're passing their own laws, and most of them are saying you have to pass a cyclist in our county or township by five foot. Mm. Um, This happened, you know, every once in a while over the last 10 years, you'd see one of these pop up. But all of a sudden, they're now popping up a little bit more regularly, where over the last six months, I've seen four different townships or counties say in our county you have to pass a cyclist by five foot. Jim, have, th- in feet, how wide is a an if there is such a thing? How wide is an average car in America? Eight and a half feet, eight foot. Okay, so in the UK, our guideline—it's not a, a hard and fast rule—but our guideline is you've got to give. The cyclist, this, of course, we know this doesn't happen, but this is this is what's in the picture in, in the UK Highway Code. You've got to give the cyclist as much room as you would give a car, which tends to be a car's width. So wow. I, I, I'm all for, you know, what you're saying about, you know, we should give, you know, wider distances. But three foot is a third of the width of a car. Five foot is getting bigger, five-eighths, of course, uh, but it's still not what it, the technical thing in the UK, which is, well, we should have that full eight foot. So, in effect, five foot, even though you're applauding it as something quite good, is actually still not enough, especially if somebody's coming past you at 40 miles an hour, five foot is not enough. So are we actually being palmed off with something that's actually not that good? Well, sure, but holy mackerel, we're just so happy to get three, mm. including the side <laughs> no. view mirrors of the big trucks, mm. which you never get, um, having been taken off my bike twice by side view mirrors. Mm. Wow, I, it's, I, that's awesome. Oh, well, it's awesome, but it's not, it doesn't happen. So, that's, that's, so that's, this is the argument. Oh. Is we, when we are close past and when we are skimmed by the same mirror that, that, that you've unfortunately hit by – then we complain bitterly, but at least we can then go to the highway code and say, well, look, this is what they should have done because the highway code has a picture of a car getting completely into the other carriageway and giving a cyclist as much room as a car. But that doesn't happen. But at least it's something to aim for, whereas maybe what you're aiming for isn't actually that, that hot. So I'm basically I'm saying you have pictures. I'm impressed. Oh yes, there's there's a picture where you can point. You can just point to motor and say, "Look, here's the picture in this guideline showing you've got to be in completely the other lane, and you should be giving as exactly amount of room as you would give a car." Which, if you think about it, is is how it should be. So when you codify these things, so when you codify these things and you say three foot or five foot. You know, somebody could then go, well, I, I, I passed that cyclist with three foot. Yes, but you're doing 120 miles an hour. Yeah, but it 
the law says I've got to leave three foot. Well, of course, three foot at 90 miles an hour is you're going to be blown to smithereens anyway. So, well, interestingly, in this in this article that Jim linked to, um, in a couple of other of our states, um, New Hampshire, which is here in New England, um, it's one foot per 10 miles an hour more than 30. So right. it would be five feet at 50 miles an hour. And in South Dakota, way in the middle of the country there, um, it moves to six feet mm. if the speed is more than 35 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and in so South there are Dakota, some... the speed's never less than 55 I know, to 75. Right? <laughs> so. I know, I know. But I don't know how well these are promoted within the states. Um, you know, obviously, I don't live in either one of those states, so I don't know if it is very well promoted in both of those states. And and interestingly, Jim, in, in the Michigan example that is in the article, um, they talk about how this is a symbolic gesture to have yeah. um, the five feet and that they're not planning on writing any more tickets. So, you know, it's great that it's in the law or it's now a law, but if you're not going to enforce it in mm. any way, is it effective at all? And mm. I guess it goes back to, you know, how do, how do the manufacturers, how does the cycling industry in general promote safety, safe driving, say, you know, being safe on the road, um, you know, even the car manufacturers, how do you promote sharing the road? Well, we did the, I'll, I'll, I'll stick up for the UK here again, and that is the UK did do that, the industry that is. So the industry has funded videos, and I know that because uh, <laughs> I did it. Uh, so I we did a, a video with the, the Olympian Chris Boardman, in which we were showing exactly how much distance so we got a chris boardman as the cycling expert in his civvies in his in his ordinary clothes and we got a driving instructor a master driving instructor to be the motoring expert and then this image from the uk highway code which is give the cyclist as much room as you would give a car we actually videoed that so it wasn't it's no longer just a static picture we videoed exactly how much space you you ought to be giving uh, a cyclist so the uk industry paid for that and paid that to get out there and it's i haven't looked recently but it it, it very quickly went through the hundreds of thousands of views it was it was actually sent out by the government as well so we we were able to get the the driving instructors association to send it out to their members because we recognize and this is why we use a driving instructor uh driver's ed we we wanted this the current crop of drivers we may have lost you know they are going to pass cyclists at the distance they've always passed cyclists unfortunately no matter how many laws you do but maybe the next generation and the generation after that we can educate them so we very much targeted driver's ed and told the educators this is the distance and we in very pictorial terms because five foot four foot you know 50 miles an hour you've got to do it six foot it's like that's that's you've got to be computing as you're driving along. Whereas if it's just a picture of you get out across completely to the other lane, and you give a cyclist a full lane, that's what you've got to give. So we felt that was the message to get across there uh, in very highly pictorial terms rather than numbers, because I think numbers can sometimes be problematic. I think a visual is always good. And, and that those videos were awesome. I, I saw them and, you know, I 
tweeted them out here in the United States for more people to see them. Problem is, cyclists see them, and we pass by 20 feet, and people who need to see them never do mm-hmm. in the U.S. Well, this is why we went to the the driver's ed, because we just yeah. assumed that, well, yeah, people aren't going to watch this, but if we can drum it into the driver's ed, then maybe you know the next generations will be cognizant of this. Carlton, can you... Are, are there links you can put in the show notes? Oh, totally. For the videos? Yes, yes I'll, I'll yeah. put that in again. And I would say to all of our listeners, we're, we're, you know, we're the cycling bunch, but you have other people that follow you in your networks, in your social networks. Mm. Share those videos. Share them on Facebook. Share them on Twitter. Share them on Instagram. Wherever you are, share them because other people are in your network and will see them. Yeah, good point. And it's an important message. See, if we had tips, which we don't, because it's me in charge, then that would be a fantastic <laughs> tip, Donna. <laughs> I aim to please. <laughs> okay, we there are go, coming. David. We are wrapping up the, the show now, and that would have been a, a, a fantastic tip, but me and Jim don't have to give one because we'll just rely on Donna's being so good. It was, uh, it was so good Excellent. we didn't have to give on any of ourselves. So uh, this has been... Uh, a fantastic show as I'm sure everybody will agree and where can people get in touch with the excellent people who've been on this show so I'll go first actually Uh, I'll say I'm Carlton Reed at mac.com on uh, email I'm Carlton Reed R-E-I-D on Twitter and a whole bunch of other places including bikebiz.com Donna what about you? I am on Twitter at Donna Tosi T-O-C-C-I and I am on Instagram. Same name, same place. That's where you can find me. Mm-hmm. And Jim. Recreation Law. If you recreation-law.com or recreation.law at gmail.com or just Google Recreation Law and you, I should pop up. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. And uh, Thank you to our listeners for listening. And thank you, of course, to our listeners for subscribing to the show. And as David used to say, and telling your friends about the show. And uh, the next show will be in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Before that, uh, do have some good and safe riding. So get on out there.